Welcome back to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, uh, joined by a very special guest. Uh, we have Michael Horn on the show. Michael, uh, thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, and uh, Michael's got quite uh, an extensive uh, pedigree here. So he's an author and co-author of multiple books, white papers, and articles in education, including Disrupting Class, How Disruptive Innovation Will Change uh, the World, The Way the World Learns, uh, an Amazon bestseller, uh, Blended, Using Disruptive Innovation to Improve Schools. Uh, you're an expert on disruptive uh, innovation, uh, a la Clayton Christensen, who I think really popularized the way we think of disruption these days, um, host of the Future You podcast, The List literally goes on and on, uh, but I will forego uh, the rest of the list and we can, uh, we can maybe dig in a little bit to the conversation. Um, most recently, uh, or actually like really within the next, uh, or within the next week or so, uh, the book Choosing College uh, is about to hit the presses uh, right in time for back to school. Uh, so I uh, wanted to spend some time with you, Michael, talking about uh, that book, which, uh, which as I mentioned when we were getting started, I, I did power through uh, over the weekend and uh, got quite a bit out of it. Um, you know, it's an interesting blend of uh, some frameworks that are typically used in uh, maybe business books uh, around jobs to be done. Your partner, uh, Bob, Bob Mesta. Yep. Okay. Right. Yeah, Bob, yep. You got it. Yep. Who came up with uh, the whole idea of jobs to be done. Uh, you and he partnered to uh, really adopt the jobs to be done framework, to apply it to uh, the really complex and challenging uh, learning decisions that people have to make around uh, choosing a college and getting the right value out of uh, that exchange. Um, can, you, can you give us a little bit of context around what drove uh, you and Bob partnering uh, to, to write Choosing College? Yeah, so at, at the Clayton Christensen Institute, uh, where I'm a distinguished fellow and founded it with Clay Christensen, uh, we basically for, for several years have been wondering, why do students go to school? And we had sort of this nagging hypothesis that schools were actually serving students that were coming to them for many different reasons. And therefore, it was causing schools to try to be one size fits all operations, which was driving up administrative overhead, creating services that were relevant to one group but not another, and just were confusing and conflicting, and really causing a lot of the uh, poor success rates that we often see mm -hmm. uh, in college. And so we were just frankly curious to get under the hood and learn more. And so we started doing this research, and indeed it proved that, but I would say it also proved a few other things, which was uh, Clay and I for years have written articles where we would speculate about what jobs people hire uh, college to do for them. And we were totally wrong. All of our instincts were just not at all in the ballpark. And it, it just goes to show you, you actually got to talk to the people themselves uh, to figure out their own stories. And I, I'd say the stories that came out of it were so fascinating mm -hmm. that Bob and I, as we were doing the research, were like, there's a book here to help people make better choices, mm -hmm. uh, to help schools design better experiences, and to really illuminate the stories themselves and let them sort of speak for themselves. Yeah, yeah, and I did enjoy the the methodology that you used uh, as well, uh, where, uh, you know, it was research based, but it was also very personal, like human narratives. So, like each of the jobs to be done that you outlined, there are five that we'll we'll talk through. But for each of those uh, five jobs to be done, where people hire college to do this job for them, um, 
you provide a handful of narrative examples, some of which uh, actually interweave really throughout uh, the book. Um, can you talk a little bit about that methodology? And uh, what I really liked about it was the fact that you were both research-based, but also uh, true to these individuals' uh, stories. And uh, you know, yeah. the importance of storytelling and narrative, I think, is something we talk a lot about on the show. Can you explain your, your methodology a little bit? Totally. And, and you're exactly right. So the jobs to be done methodology itself, frankly, came out of this observation that uh, most people, when they design services or experiences or products for people, uh, that they're doing it from the perspective of the company and what they think someone ought to want in their mm -hmm. lives. But the only way to really figure out what people want is to observe what they actually do in their day-to-day -day lives. What do they prioritize? What do they, what do they ignore? Uh, and it turns out you actually can't just ask customers what they want because they lie to you, not because right. they're uh, not because they're trying to, but because you know they don't always know. And if it, the world was a blank slate, sure they'd want everything in the world, mm -hmm. but they actually have to make priorities and trade-offs uh, as they live life. And so what we do uh, in the research methodology is just we we created over 200 stories of students making the decision mm -hmm. uh, to go to college. So they're literally mini documentaries. And that's how we came up with the, uh, the, both the jobs that we found, but then also the advice for the students. Uh, but then those stories, to your point, just live as really, really interesting stories about how students made these really tough choices in some points in time, really emotional, social mm -hmm. uh, factors that weighed on them. And we said, gosh, let's just let it speak for itself because they're so compelling. And they tell the jobs way better than you know, academic language would, if you will, around, around these things. And just getting to see them or feel them, I think, is, is, is much more uh, impactful and powerful. And the last thing I would say is by telling the stories, what we really want is for a reader of the book to say, oh, I identify with that, mm -hmm. right? That's where I am, not maybe in general, but right now in my life. Mm -hmm. And therefore, what, is I, what does that mean for what I should or shouldn't do? Yeah, yeah, no, and it's, uh, you know, it did, uh, it was interesting to me, and I, I think uh, Bob in particular at, in, at one point talks about how, you know, in many ways he had gone through all five of these types of jobs yeah. uh, throughout his life. That was very much, uh, that part spoke to me too, as, as you're, you know, you're approaching your middle years, you can, uh, you can really begin to identify with stories really across the, the full gamut here. Uh, and I also really liked, uh, just, you know, coincidentally, I did recently read uh, Hillbilly Elegy by yeah. J.D. Vance. And uh, the idea that um, his story in some ways mapped directly to the types of stories that you were sort of capturing in your, uh, your research. Um, to me, like we like to talk, I, I, there's a joke on the show that I try to say zeitgeist or zeitgeisty. Uh, just about every show, but uh, but this is one of those examples where like uh, it felt that you know first off you know something that's very much top of mind is the importance of empathy and storytelling and um, uh, also diversity and inclusion and like it did seem like you cast uh, very thoughtfully and you know there is a section where you you outline uh, your methodology but you very intentionally wanted to get a, a nice. Uh, you know, cross section of all the types of people, including lifelong learners, uh, you know, including uh, people earlier mid career who are trying to upskill. Um, can you can you talk about that aspect of the methodology totally. too, where like it did seem like uh, you uh, you were very intentional, and that was another uh, word that I wrote down in terms of my prep, like the idea of intentionality. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you guys definitely represented it in how the book came together, but it also seemed as though the 
one of the ideas was be intentional about your own engagement here. Um, but can you talk a little bit about how uh, how you uh, really created the 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 cross section that yeah. you that you interviewed? So you're spot on, and and I will say up front, a sneaking hope of ours uh, is that people will buy it for their kids, uh, mm -hmm. and then realize that it applies to them right now in their lives today. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, mm -hmm. because we're all lifelong learners, we're all constantly learning, whether that's through podcasts like this one, yeah. uh, uh, online courses that we might stumble upon, little videos on YouTube, or frankly, bigger uh, experiences that we might delve into, mm -hmm. uh, and so. Uh, what we really wanted to do is exactly that. We wanted to work with a range of institutions. So we partnered with uh, eight different universities and one company that serves students in all sorts of different institutions mm -hmm. and say, how do we reach students that are at all stages of life with the process of choosing everything from college to coding boot camps to online universities? And mm -hmm. by doing so, the hope was that we would get a pretty wide range of stories that would represent what America looks like uh, in terms of these decisions around ongoing education after high school. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I, I don't know that we got it exactly right in terms of representation. So we're cautious about making any, you know, uh, statements around, well, this job is X percent of the American population, but right. that's not really the point. The point was to get a pretty broad section so that any person that picks this book up can find themselves in it mm -hmm. uh, and, and see themselves in, in a clear way. And, you know, it's interesting things like race or income level, those don't cause you to be in a particular job to be done, but by using those demographics, use them to your advantage mm -hmm. to make sure you capture every single use case uh, that might be out there so that you capture all the circumstances a student might be in mm -hmm. uh, to understand why they're going and what are they facing and what are they trying to solve in their lives and what's the progress that they're really trying to make. Yeah, and you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, uh, and it, it really jumped out at me uh, while I was reading the book, uh, is that you're not, overly cognitive in your uh in your approach which i i really liked the fact that you were you're trying to understand the emotional needs and the social contexts in which people are making these decisions uh, we also talk a lot about um you know behavioral economics and like you know decision science uh, decision education um i I, can you talk a little bit about that? Because like it does, and maybe as as you do that, we could get into the the five examples a bit. But like, what I was struck by was that it wasn't purely uh, cognitive and uh, like sort of coldly calculating. Yep, it did seem very much as like, you know, why would someone make a decision like this, and what would be the emotional drivers and the social drivers as much as the cognitive ones. Yeah, you're spot on. Uh, so, you know, what we realize when people have a job to be done and what we define that is, is the progress that you're trying to make in a particular circumstance in your life. It's that simple. A lot of people tend to focus on the functional aspects of it. So they'll be curious, you know, will you get more money for having this degree? Or, you know, if you get this degree, you'll learn X and that therefore that'll allow you to get this uh, entry point into this career. And frankly, that's how Clay and I tended to write about it before we did the research. We would say, mm -hmm. oh, people hire college to launch a career, switch jobs, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Very functional reasons. But when you actually do jobs to be done research, and this isn't just in education, it's in all spheres you realize that the social and emotional reasons we do things are way more powerful often than the functional or, or cognitive ones, as you put it. And mm -hmm. I think that's exactly right. You know, we often call that uh, quote, the irrational thinking or something like that, but yeah. it's not irrational because it's understanding the emotional and emotional and social context you're in mm -hmm. and what is pushing and pulling you to make a change in your life. And that's right. really what it's about. And 
if you if you ignore that social and emotional uh, aspect, you're sort of cutting off half the person at least right. uh, who 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 is making that decision. And so it's really important to understand. What's the family pressures? What's, you know, what's, what's the societal pressures? Mm-hmm. What is your uh, guidance counselor and your teacher telling you to do, uh, right? That's weighing on the social pieces. On the emotional side, what are your worries? What are your hopes, right? What, what's keeping you up at night? What if, you know, it's things like nagging you. What if I don't do this and show my kid that I can do X, right? right. All these little things that y- you wouldn't necessarily process if you were sitting in a, uh, a closed room with a whiteboard of how to design college, right. but are actually very real in, in the lives of people who are making this choice. Yeah. And a related point, I think, is the, the sort of the notion of uh, decision inertia, you know, like it, it just seemed as though, you know, in some of the jobs in particular, you know, I want to do what's expected of me or, uh, you know, I'm, I, I need to help my help get away from a situation or yep. uh, or even just getting into the best school. Uh, yep. You know, a lot of that is like, I don't really have an end game in mind. I am sort of going with the flow, just like I went with the flow right through uh, high school to get my high school degree. Yeah, I'm just going to keep on rolling that way right on through uh, higher ed. And um, in some ways, I viewed the book as somewhat cautionary about that uh, mode where it gets back to that idea of intentionality I was talking about where like, you know, college is frequently very expensive, uh, you know, financially expensive, but also just uh, psychologically taxing, like it's a big investment of your time. And, um, you know, there is uh, almost a default way of thinking about, well, I got to go to college or I got to get into the best college. Uh, in some ways that's driving a lot of the, the totally. problems that are out in the world today. So like, I do want to get your take on those things a bit, but, uh, but what do you think about that? And how does that relate to what you're, you know, how you're trying to reach people to maybe change uh, the way they might think about some of these decisions? Yeah, I mean, so much of this is unconscious that exists in us. And, and, and in many ways, I hope the book serves to make that unconscious part of our decision making conscious so that you can recognize it in yourself mm-hmm. and then make a more appropriate decision. Because so much of us, to your point, we have uncertainty about what we want out of the experience at the end mm-hmm. of it. And that's just real. I mean, you know, you, you look at all the surveys now and people say, well, everyone's going to college to get a job. Yeah, maybe, but they don't really understand what field they want to work in. They don't really know what a job is. Right, you know, the, right. teen, the teen participation rate right now in the workforce is the lowest, lowest it's ever been, I think, in our nation's history. Yep. Uh, and so, um, you know, these things that, that seem tangible are not, in fact, so. And that actually feels real when you step back into your own decision-making process of the uncertainty, the anxiety that you felt. Mm-hmm. And really what we notice uh, in, in this process, but in, in every process is that for you to make a change, for you to do something, the pushes in your lives and the pulls, what you want to get out of it, they have to overcome these anxieties and habits that you currently have. Mm-hmm. And the push of, well, the next logical step is college. And that's just what you're going to do because you're going to do it. Yeah. It's super strong in our society. It's just, yeah. it's, just a, it's just an embedded expectation and it drives so much behavior and our big step back to your point, and, and maybe I'll just lay the, these out right now, the, the five jobs that we found, the first one was help me get into my best school. Really strange job because the outcome that people are seeking is the result itself of yeah. getting in. Yeah, uh, it's all about getting in. I've, I've done it. Oh, oh, now what? Uh, uh, the second one is help me do what's expected of me. So these are students who are going because someone else demanded in effect that they do so, their parents, society, their guidance counselor, whatever. The third one is help me get away. So I'm running from something, not necessarily to something. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll come back to that in a moment. 
The fourth one was uh, help me step it up. So these are students who are looking around at their lives and they're like, this is just isn't me. This isn't who I am. I'm sick of living, you know, paycheck to paycheck, whatever it might be. I'm scared of where things are headed and, and I got to step it up. I got to do something about this. And then the last one is uh, what we call help me extend myself, uh, which is, you know, things are actually pretty good, but I've always wanted to learn X and now I have the time and budget to do mm -hmm. so. And so I'm going to go pursue that. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting, say, take the help me get away job. If you're running from something, say an abusive stepfather is one of the stories we tell in yeah. the book uh, of, of Naomi in the book, um, you know, getting away is the most important thing. But very little of your decision is about what's on the other side of college or what you'll get out of it or, mm -hmm. or even thinking about the four years and the debt you're about to go into to yeah. afford that experience. Maybe you want to step back and say, gee, is there a shorter, less costly experience I can do mm -hmm. to learn a lot about myself and then make a more informed decision that's more likely to result in success? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where, like, the interestingly, like, we've been focusing a lot on uh, decision education on the show recently. And in many ways, this book is a very practical guide to making smart decisions uh, around how college and education should factor into your life. What I, what I liked about it in particular uh, was that um, pulling back and, you know, like I, I would love to get a little more perspective from you on the gap year. Because mm -hmm. uh, like I think obviously these things are, uh, they're challenging decisions to make one way or another. But, uh, but the idea of um, being somewhat bold and courageous about your own uh, path, realizing that you know, we're going to live 70, 80, 100 years, and there's uh, plenty of time within that full arc to understand how to get the best educational outcomes for yourself. Can you talk a little bit about ways in which you're perhaps more uh, open to surprising decisions, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and, and honestly, you know, even in the case of the gap year, you know, there's, there's some pretty strong recommendations about not being, uh, you know, too casual about, uh, about making that kind of choice. Can you talk totally. a little bit about that? Totally. So, and I'll, I'll just say up front, my wife uh, was joking with me. She said, I can't believe it, it took you an entire book that you had to research and write to figure out that a gap year might be a good idea for students. <laughs> uh, she, she said, I would have just told you that, you know, if you'd asked. But, uh, you know, I, the, the point is just that, which is that because we have this uncertainty in our lives, High school for many students is not a place where we really build passion and purpose and an understanding of what we want next uh, in any defined way outside of, well, we think the next logical step is college, so I guess I might as well go, or it's socially acceptable to go. Uh, why not take a structured gap year, not where you just sort of gallivant around Europe, but you use that year to learn more about yourself, invest in yourself, try on or prototype uh, a variety of different career pathways, learning experiences, uh, apprenticeships, community experiences, and the like, to figure out, I want more of this, less of that. These are the sorts of things I'm attracted to, to help you make a better choice about what might maybe be a full four-year college experience in the next step. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we make a lot of recommendations that the gap year can be an enormously uh, helpful year in teaching you about you mm -hmm. and where you are right now uh, to really make a more informed choice. And you don't have to rush in college, to your point. Like, mm -hmm. you know, whether I uh, went to college right after I graduated high school or waited a year or two, in the grand scheme of life, you know, when you, when you discount for present value, I suppose that's probably a part of, you know, these decision uh, equations. 
it's, it's going to net out. And what's more important is to make the right decision than the fast decision. Yeah. Uh, and so the gap year is a really neat way to do that. And, and one of the things that, you know, the research says is, well, that works really well for people like, uh, you know, uh, President Obama's daughter, Malia Obama, who took a gap right. year when they have the privilege and, and, and money to be able to do so. Right. What about a low income student? You know, if they take a year off, their likelihood of going back to college is significantly lower. Research is pretty clear on that. And our takeaway was, okay, that's true. But if you take a gap year and you put structure around it, you say, I'm going to do it for exactly a year and then make this decision or, or, or you know, some sort of time bound nature around it. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you use the year to actually earn money. So it's actually value creating in a way that college is not. Right. Uh, and you learn a lot more about yourself and then you commit to invest in yourself in the next phase when you have learned more and you've answered some open ended questions about yourself, mm-hmm. then you can make a really rewarding decision uh, around college. Because what we know about the stats in college is that the success rates are actually not very high. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, why not do something that actually improves your success rates of completion? And the last thing we know about the gap year from research is that when you control for all factors, academic, uh, uh, you know, socioeconomic, et cetera, any given student who takes a gap year and comes into college versus any student who does not take a gap year and just goes direct, the student who takes the gap year almost always does better because they're hungrier, they have a clearer sense of why they're in college, mm-hmm. and they're just ready to go attack it in a way that the student who's just gone straight just isn't. Mm-hmm. So gap years can be enormously valuable. Yeah. And interestingly, the, you know, the book, the book's relevant to, uh, to students uh, who are making these choices, obviously relevant to parents, but also I, I liked that you got into, uh, you know, sort of the, the venture space. Like if you're an entrepreneur, if you're trying to figure out where the biggest opportunities are, uh, and then even some examples of uh, more innovative uh, attempts at least at uh, modernizing and sort of transforming what college is. One of the examples that I thought was really interesting was the the Wayfind, Wayfinder mm-hmm. uh, Wayfinding Academy. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Because because I also thought that and and maybe related to that is the the potential value of an associate's degree or other smaller interim steps rather than diving in whole hog into uh, an expensive four year uh, program. Yeah, Wayfinding Academy is a fascinating program out of Portland, Oregon. It's a new university, two-year program, uh, where the curriculum is essentially learning about yourself and figuring out what your purpose is in life so that you can then go on uh, into a, a chosen field or, or more education. And it's, it's all about getting you an associate's degree, mm-hmm. essentially, and understanding yourself. And so they've done a huge course sequence all around uh, self-discovery uh, and things of that nature and, and plenty of community or experiential learning opportunities to be out in the community uh, to build knowledge and skills for sure, but in the service of understanding yourself better. Uh, super interesting experience. Um, the, the woman who created it has this great quote uh, in a talk that she's giving about it where she says, you know, right now we, we, we basically have you apply to college where you choose your major and then you go through and then you go out into the other world and realize that's not at all what I wanted. And we think we have this totally backwards. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, the quote. Yeah. I'm probably slightly screwing it up. But, uh, yeah, yeah. She, but you know, we ought to do this backwards. We ought to figure out how do you get experience in the real world to learn what you actually want to do and then get you the education in service of that. And mm-hmm. so that's how we've structured our curriculum. We obviously raise a number of questions in the book if, if they've done it the right way, if it'll succeed, if, if uh, understanding what we've understood about the jobs, if they've set it up exactly correct. But I think the thrust of it is right, which is that this, this uh, understanding 
what you actually like and what you want to do and you're passionate about uh, is, is actually a pretty fundamental prerequisite uh, for the, a lot of the college pathways you might choose and something that if you don't invest in yourself uh, ahead of time, you could end up in a place where you're saying, gosh, I just got through the accounting degree. I hate accounting. I don't want to be an accountant. No one told me that this was what was involved. Yeah. Um, I don't want a desk job. And, and there's little tricks that you can just do to learn a lot about yourself to avoid that. Yeah. And it, it you know, it, I liked where you analogy. And first off, I just like, we talk about learning transfer a lot on the show too. The idea yes. of taking ideas from one space and applying it to an adjacent one. I liked the sort of infusion of sort of lean product thinking, agile design, but like, you know, why make that, you know, four year, six figure plus investment when you could, let's say you're, you're in the, uh, you know, help me get away job. Mm -hmm. Like, why, why think that long? Like, if you want to get away from uh, maybe a, a home situation that, that isn't great for you, you can do that in a way that doesn't commit you to a four-year program that will be expensive. You'll be taking on that debt, you know? So it did seem to sort of put those decisions in context and borrow ideas from software development and business. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, almost the decision calculus and how like at times it'll be fine to sort of pursue, like make those big decisions, jump yep. into that four-year degree, but there are times when it actually makes more sense to be more agile and responsive. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, hundred percent. So I think the big, uh, you know, a big takeaway is that every job to be done that you're in has a certain time horizon associated with it. And I've been told that's actually one of the most useful parts of the book uh, mm -hmm. is sort of thinking about the time horizon. So like you said, if, if you're trying to get away from something, the time horizon is however long it takes you to get away. Yep. And then you're shifting jobs. You're in a new circumstance with a new uh, motivation to make progress in your life. And so you ought to think about a decision that doesn't overcommit you past that time horizon, in, in effect. Uh, if you're trying to step it up uh, and you know the career that you want to go into, that's a different calculus, right? You know you want to go be a nurse, say, and you know that the program takes you two years, say, to become a, 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 a registered nurse. Well, then that's your uh, pathway. And then you know your time horizon as governed by what you're going to step up into in your life, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, help me do what's expected of me. Same thing. We basically say, hey, once you've fulfilled someone's expectations of you, then what, right? So how do you narrow, and, and this one actually is really hard because those expectations can stay on you. And there we sort of say, you got to fight against those expectations and figure out how to bring it back uh, into a shorter time horizon so that you can do exactly what you're saying, this lean, uh, you know, lean startup sort of approach yep. where you're going to quickly say, okay, we're going to prototype a, a potential pathway for me, learn about what I like and don't like, yep. reflect on that, and then make a different decision. It's basically the test and learn mindset uh, that entrepreneurs bring, I think, to their, to their problems all the time. Mm -hmm. We really want to port that into uh, your educational decision-making as well. And I'll tell you a book that was super influential in my thinking on this was Design Your Life uh, mm -hmm. by the two professors at Stanford who are, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, beacons of design thinking. And, and what's really interesting is, um, and Bob talks about this all the time, jobs to be done is just a way of unearthing the progress that you're trying to make in your life. But then to actually do something about it, you need to enter a design thinking process mm. where you start iterating on possible solutions. Because, you know, look, in the book, we throw out some potential ways entrepreneurs and colleges could better innovate to serve these jobs. But at the end of the day, people are going to actually just have to try some things that they hypothesize will match those jobs, test them, 
learn from them and then iterate again and, and, and build something different and prototype something different. And learners ought to be doing the same thing to get to a more demand driven view of uh, education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, along those lines or, or maybe sort of a related idea is uh, just the whole concept of lifelong learning mm -hmm. uh, and the distinction uh, that sort of uh, is woven throughout the book of intrinsic versus extrinsic value of uh, education. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in essence, we're always lifelong learners our whole life. Uh, and then uh, frequently college is more uh, an extrinsic decision that people make where they're saying, I need to go to college so I can make more money downstream, or I need to go to college so that I can please my parents, or I need to go to college so that I can get out of this town. Um, all those things are a little more, um, you know, transactional mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the contra contrasting that is this idea of I, uh, education is part of my, part of why I'm here. And it's part of what really drives me, um, you know, as I, like the lifelong learning part is something that, that resonated the most to me. Um, but it is interesting where like, I think some of the ways in which I became a lifelong learner started right around when I was entering college. Mm -hmm. So um, can you talk a little bit about extrinsic versus intrinsic? And then also uh, perhaps how um, we all wear different ha hats or hire different yeah. jobs uh, throughout our lives? Totally. So, I mean, and you can cut it a couple different ways, but you know, if, if you're doing what something, if you're going to school to do, uh, fulfill what someone else expects of you, that is fundamentally an extrinsic pressure on you. It's not intrinsically, it doesn't come from within you. It's not an internal motivation that I want to do this for myself. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about the help me get away is that might be intrinsically motivated, but it's not intrinsically motivated about the college experience itself. It's mm -hmm. I need to get away from some circumstances that are extrinsic for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not intrinsically motivated uh, by the college experience itself, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But as you progress in your life and as you enter different phases, what I think a lot of people realize is you start to get into the uh, help me extend myself, mm -hmm. which is a deeply intrinsic reason for wanting to learn it for learning's sake itself, right? And it's sort of this, I've always wanted to know X. I've always wanted to challenge myself with Y. I've always wanted to learn more about this, or I've always wanted to be something else, mm -hmm. not because my life is in a bad state, like things are good actually, relatively speaking, mm -hmm. but this is something that I now have the time and I really want to invest in myself around. And that's a very cool reason to be learning. I joked Bob when we uh, unearthed this one that I had never experienced this job in my life with the mortgage and two kids under five and so forth. And he said, well, sure you have, but your version of it is hiring this podcast here or, yes. yeah. you know, or, or, or checking out a video on YouTube or reading yeah. a book or things like that. Mm -hmm. You're not Michael going to, uh, you know, bet the bank and go into a four year PhD program or something like that, or an eight year PhD program or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, not earn for many years and, 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 and so forth. And so it's really risk adjusted for where you are, but it is investing in you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important concept. And I'd actually, I, I kind of wish we had gone deeper in this in the book, but the uh, help me get into my best school job. A lot of admissions officers, when they read that one, they were like, I hate that one. That's why my students come here and it's, it's empty. It's vacuous. And I was saying like, I agree with you on the one hand, but I also know that that was me sure. as, a, as a student. That's, I mean, clearly when I went to college, it was to get into the best school for me, right? Mm -hmm. And 
Uh, and as I thought about it, there's probably two different variations of that job if we had dug deeper. There's probably an extrinsically motivated version of that where it's, I want to get into my best school so I can show others around me, socially motivated. I can show them, right? And this is what leads to the varsity blues scandal yes. and things yes. of that nature. Yes. Um, and then there's probably an intrinsically motivated one, which is I want to get into the best school for me because I'm genuinely interested about stretching myself. I'm interested in being around people that will challenge me, that will teach me new things, mm -hmm. that'll expose me to new stratas of society. And I think um, when I think about why I went to school, I think it was more that. It wasn't that I needed to have a ranking on my list. I, I'm sure that was part of it, sure. but it was more like, I was genuinely excited. And I think like you, when I went to college, I remember thinking to myself, finally, the rat race is over. I don't have to worry about grades. I'm get to learn for its own sake. Right. You know, no one told me that grad schools would actually care about grades. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that it turns out that it still does matter. But the point is, uh, I was so relieved and just excited to learn for its own sake, which I think is is something that uh, has increased in me over time mm -hmm. and and built a reservoir uh, of of intrinsic motivation for it. And you know it sort of echoes a a, a, a quote that you often hear about higher ed, which is that it's wasted on the young. Yes. Uh, and and I think there's something to that uh, when you sort of think about these phases of life that you will pass through as you as you learn in different contexts. Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting when you were talking about the opportunities, the potential uh, venture opportunities, uh, entrepreneurial opportunities around, you know, uh, you know, the aging generations, but really even the younger generations are still going to you know, they're on YouTube constantly. Uh, you know, I, I like to say we're in a golden age of informal learning. Totally. And, uh, you know, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that when you're engaging what, in what feels like an entertainment activity, it's also a learning activity. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is really like a mindset uh, component. If you're, enga if you're engaged, you're learning, right? And, right. and, and that can be from, you know, reading the newspaper in the morning to watching a, a, a YouTube video to uh, frankly, just the conversations that you have during the day. If you're engaged and you're processing and you're thinking about what something means, you, that is the act of learning. Yeah. Uh, and we don't count it as learning too often in the education system, which I think is a huge mistake. And I, it's something that in the conclusion we sort of attack, which is that we ought to think, that institutions ought to think more deliberately about how do we understand the mastery of all learning that occurs in someone's life and be able to give credit effectively for it and think about uh, gauging the mastery of learning as opposed to the time I spend in a formal institution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we're coming up on time. Um, one of the, one of my favorite quotes is William Gibson's uh, quote, the future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed. Yes. As somebody who's well-versed your, the, the book was wonderful in terms of examples of emerging models, disruptive models. Uh, I know that's very much, uh, you know, the innovators dilemma, Clayton Christensen. Yeah. Um, where do you think we're furthest ahead right now? Are there trends that you think are just emerging now that are going to take a few years? But, uh, but if folks want to understand, you know, a few examples or a few types of programs that you think are really uh, potentially transformative, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'll give a couple examples. Uh, so one, I think on the gap year front, we're going to see a lot more curated programs that allow students to step through an experience and, and have fin uh, financial aid dollars and things of that nature that allow uh, many more students to embrace those experiences. So like global citizen years is something that we talk about in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they're doing fascinating things around this uh, self-discovery uh, uh, job um, uh, uh, for, for students 
that uh, in, in a very cool curated experience that, that I think will build a lot of uh, understanding of self for, for, mm. for folks. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so we talked about Wayfinding Academy. I think another one is Project Wayfinder, mm. uh, which works with high schools and colleges around the act of helping students dis uh, discover their uh, their, their purpose uh, in, in, in life. And, and I think little projects like that will be really important as well mm -hmm. um, on this road. Uh, it's not something we wrote about. It's something I learned about after we put the book to bed, uh, but I wish I had written about. Uh, and then I, I guess on the flip side of it, I think you're right, the informal learning opportunities. So everything from the coding boot camps of the world to uh, online courses to connecting with tutors worldwide and so mm -hmm. forth. Um, in, in terms of the help me step it up and help me extend myself jobs, I just think there's so much innovation going on in those two fronts. And for all the higher ed institutions right now, bemoaning the fact that there's fewer uh, traditional college age uh, students coming into their world, mm -hmm. I think they're missing the forest from the trees, which is to say there's never been a better time uh, to be in, in, in the business of education because so many people want to and need to learn mm -hmm. uh, throughout their lives. And, and that's, a, that's a great thing, I think, right now. Yeah, yeah, and we we've been talking about it too from the perspective of uh, you know public-private partnerships too. Like so, like recently we were covering Starbucks uh, mm -hmm. graduating, you know, the first three thousand of its uh, you know college achievement program, partnering with ASU online. So like that's another another uh, way to understand the the lifelong learning aspect of totally. of higher ed, uh, and those types of partnerships are something we're really curious about because because um, the the step it up. Um, job to be done is a really interesting one too. So we haven't, I know we're close to time, but can you just touch on that one real quick? Cause like, I think that's a, uh, that yeah. one is also enormously relevant. It's a little more uh, maybe uh, extrinsic in a way uh, where you're thinking about the return on it in your sort of career growth. But I sure. thought that was that was another one that uh, maybe will round out our coverage of all the jobs. Step uh, it up selfishly may be our favorite of the jobs mm -hmm. um, because I think it's the it's it, it's it's the most primal energy around it, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's mm -hmm. students who really are going back because they're clear about what they want next in their lives. They need to do something different, and so they're making a change. In effect, and education is the gateway to that change. Yeah, I will say you don't only have to hire education. I would argue that. Uh, in one of my career switches that I had it, I, I, I looked around me and I said, I need to step it up. And I switched to another job that allowed me to grow myself. And so it's not just that you have to hire education, but I think the demand for the step it up job is going to be uh, constant throughout life, given the, uh, you know, given the pace of which skills are, are, are constantly changing right now in, 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 in our society. And so I think for students, they're going to be constantly in this mode of this is no longer who I am. I need to step it up. I need more education to get me to point, you know, to the point where I want to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's an enormous value creating job. And I, I think institutions that figure out ways to do this in the most direct path, they understand why students are coming to them. They're uh, good at vetting to make sure that students understand why they're coming to them mm -hmm. and then can launch them on those paths in the most direct, efficient way to get them from point A to point B uh, will be tremendously successful because because there is so much need and energy around this job. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, any parting thoughts? Any like this is a wonderful conversation. Uh, I got to say, I, I did get a lot out of the book. And as a lifelong learner, my son is eight months old, so he's got a little time. I hope uh, between yes. now and when we have to choose uh, choose college, but I did find it relevant to me as a lifelong learner and also as someone just fascinated by learning and education. So I, I really think you you and Bob did wonderful work here. But uh, but any parting thoughts uh, as we wrap up here? 
Well, I'm super appreciative that, that you found the book helpful. And, and I think that's exactly what we want to do, which is to help learners at any stage of our lives. And we are all learners, especially today, but probably always uh, throughout our lives. Uh, and we wanted to help people make better decisions and sort of make the circumstances that they're confronting these decisions in more transparent. I am sure we don't have all the answers. Uh, and I hope that humility comes across in the book. Uh, and I just hope as people engage with it and they see new things or they see things that entrepreneurs could do or that learners could do to unlock different pathways, that they reach out to us and say, hey, you know, this is another pathway you ought to share with folks, uh, another technique, a tactic or whatever it is. Uh, and we'll keep writing about it and learning from it because I think that's what we're all doing is using this framework hopefully to drive more decisions. And the last thing I guess I'd say is, as this becomes more known and uh, entrepreneurs and schools start to innovate against these jobs, the jobs themselves will probably change over time. And that's a great thing because it's a dynamic world and hopefully it can allow us all to make more progress. Awesome. Uh, I have a feeling this may not be the last we're hearing from uh, Michael and team on this particular topic. Uh, this was uh, Michael Horn. Uh, thanks again for, for, for being a, a guest on our show. And uh, the book is Choosing College. Uh, it's hitting uh, the, the bookshelves and Amazon and anywhere you can buy a book. Uh, it's, a, it's a really a wonderful read. I, I, I'd recommend it uh, to our listeners. I'd also recommend uh, tracking uh, Michael on, you know, he's one of the LinkedIn uh, influencers. He's got a podcast, do a little research. Uh, he's really a, a, a fascinating thinker. He's got a lot of really great ideas. Same thing. If you're not familiar with Clayton Christensen and uh, what's happening up there, uh, you know, Michael and, and Clayton are close and uh, you know, the whole notion of disrupt disruption really came from there. So uh, thanks again for being on the show. Thanks to our listeners uh, for listening in and uh, we'll see you next time on trending in education. Thank you.